0: If you're visiting with us or for any reason don't have your Bible with you this morning, please take one of the Bibles that are in the pew in front of you and turn to page number 1086. Our scripture reading this morning will be from Jude chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ... May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope we can be an encouragement to you. As a matter of fact, as guests or anyone who has recently, in the last several months, uh, become a part of the fellowship here, we would love to invite you to a newcomer's luncheon that will take place after the second service this morning in the lower fellowship hall. So uh, please make your plans to join us there, and we would love to get to know you better and just show you some uh, good, warm hospitality. It is wonderful to think of the many opportunities that God gives us. We have a lot of ladies away on a ladies' retreat this morning, and we're thankful for them. We're thankful for the great retreat that we have heard that they have been having. And uh, we do pray that their morning is good and that they will be back safely. Also, we think at the end of this month, we think about family day. It'll be the last Sunday of the month. Now, note this. This year, we will have morning worship and Bible class as usual, and immediately... after well, even after Bible class, not too long after Bible class, we'll start serving lunch under the tent. So any of you that come to first service, it might not be immediately after Bible class, but it'll be pretty soon after Bible class that lunch will begin to be served. And then of course, it'll continue to be served after the second service. And then we'll come back in at about one o'clock uh, for a worship service. And that will be our uh, take the place of our evening worship service. And then we as family... A church family, God's family, uh, will have the opportunity to select various activities that we want to do together, and we want to encourage you as a family, physical family, to do these activities together, too. Here's a list of what some of them uh, are, and there'll probably be a few more added because there's a lot of people in our family, and we need to make a lot of those available. But uh, there'll be some that'll play putt-putt golf and others board games and and card games. Uh, Some will go on a tour of Nashville with Tony. Others will hike Burgess Falls others bowling, others kickball, some the Nashville Zoo, live music at Doug Williams Barn, Fired Up Pottery, Uh, there probably will be a mobile escape game, and possibly the Nashville Sounds and the Roxy Theater. Now, as you can see, some of these uh, tickets have to be purchased in advance. You'll be paying your own way on those things, and so we'll have sign-up sheets with information on it, so you can see. Others of these will be free, Uh, some of them because of limited number of spaces on uh, seats on the bus, Uh, There will be a limited number on some of these. And so next Sunday morning, uh, they'll be first come, first serve. And so um, just get here early, look through there. And uh, you know, as a church family, we worship a lot together. We study a lot together. We work a lot together. We go on a lot of campaigns together. And it'd be nice to just be able to spend some time enjoying each other's company and enjoying our physical family as well. And so we want to encourage you as a family to look at that list and see some things uh, or pick out one of those things that you'd like to do together as a family. It is exciting to think of the announcement that was made earlier by Hoyt Smith. Uh, We appreciate our elders, uh, the vision that they have and others that are working along with those plans and let's do continue to pray uh, for them and pray for ourselves as a church family uh, that if God allows time to stand, that the Mount Juliet congregation will be strong in the faith, topic this morning, that we'll be strong in the faith and that we will be a light, not only here to this community, but around the world until the Lord comes again. Please be prayerful about that. And let's pray uh, that God's will will be done in our lives. Simon and Garfunkel, had a song entitled The Boxer. It was a a power ballad, a rock ballad, and it was told primarily in the first person. And Paul Simon says that he wrote it because he was very discouraged and people were unfairly criticizing him and he wanted to quit the music business. At the very end of the ballad, he changes from first person to third person and he describes a scene of a boxer. And with this, we have the lyrics of the end of this song. And if you're trying to struggle remember this song, those of you that are older, you remember the chorus in this song is li, La La La. And he says that over and over, which that was never the plans. That was just a placeholder as he was writing the song. And everybody liked it so much, they asked him to keep it in there. And he always said he was embarrassed anytime time he sung that because, because of that. But I want you to notice the persistence here as, as he's hanging on. And, and he says, in the clearing stands a boxer. And a fighter by his trade and he carries the reminders of every glove that laid him down or cut him till he cried out in his anger and his shame, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, but the fighter still remains. Do you believe that there are some things worth fighting for? Do you believe that there's some things that it's worth taking some injury? It's worth taking some embarrassment. It's worth taking some shame. That there are some things that is literally worth putting your life on the line. I hope you believe that your faith and your family are worth fighting for. And when we look in scripture, we see that ultimately, if we're doing family right, it's because our faith has formed our family. And so for the rest of the month, we're going to spend primarily studying about what God teaches about our physical family. But we want to place the emphasis this morning on our spiritual family, but also the overlap that says we can't be the family that God wants us to be spiritually as a church family if we are not people of faith. But that is the same from a physical family aspect also. We can't be the family God wants us to be unless we are people of faith. Jude is a powerful study for contending for the faith, which is a phrase taken out of the third verse that's already been capably read this morning. In other words, that idea of contending for the faith, there's some things worth struggling for, there are some things worth fighting for. And so when we look at Jude, the first verse, We see that Jude is the author, and there are two uh, Judes throughout the New Testament that are easily known. One was the apostle, and one was the half-brother of Jesus. And most scholars believe that it was the half-brother of Jesus that wrote this, which would mean also that's the belief that James was also the half-brother of Jesus. So James and Jude toward the end of the New Testament are both written by brothers of Jesus. Now, as he writes, his plea is to combat Apostasy that is setting in among Christians and has come inside the church. It's that idea that there are some that are almost undercover. Now, I don't know how intentional that was, but that is kind of the language that Jude uses. He's, he's saying, open your eyes. Do you realize the danger that is right among you? Are you gonna be pulled into that apostasy, which means you're gonna lose your faith? Or are you gonna stand up and are you gonna fight for your faith? And this morning, we wanna echo Jews' words that your faith is worth fighting for. When we go to the third verse, I'd like for you to notice again, he, at the beginning of this verse, he's telling them, I, I really had high ambition. I was very diligent about writing to you about another topic. I wanted to write about our common salvation but because of this situation that has become clear to him, he says, now I realize I have to change the topic of my letter here. And so what he changes the topic to is this plea. Notice the last part of this. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Why can the, notice singular, why can the faith be delivered once and for all? Because it's only one faith. There is not another modern day faith that comes along a 1,000 years, 1,500 years, or 2,000 years later. You remember in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we have the seven ones. You remember verse five? There's one Lord, one what? One faith, one baptism. That one faith that was given once and for all, how do we learn what this faith is? Romans 10 and 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word of God tells us of that faith that was delivered once and for all. And anyone that follows it devotes their life to holding up that faith. Their obedience brings them by the grace and the mercy of God to be a saint. In other words, they are sanctified. They have left the world and they are now a part of the Lord's people. And so now apostasy is setting in and some of those people are leaving the Lord and they're drifting away from the Lord. Now, note this just so you understand you better. Just because they're drifting away, the Lord doesn't mean they're stopping being religious. They're still very religious. They're still teaching a lot of things. It's just now their apostasy is causing them to teach false doctrine. And so when we look at the the plea that he makes, the plea is, I exhort you. The word exhort means to call near. Jude is saying, listen, I'm staying with the faith and I'm calling all of you to come and join me. I exhort you, let's stand on the side of the faith. You and I, I, I feel like I can speak for us all. Aren't we so thankful? that we have elders that they can stand with Jude and they can say to us, we exhort you. In other words, as elders, we're standing on the side of faith and we call you, we exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith. You see, no one can be faithful for someone else. Your spouse can stand on the faith but that doesn't mean you're standing on the faith. Your children can contend for the faith, but it doesn't mean you're contending earnestly for the faith. Your elders can contend for the faith and help the congregation be led in that direction, but it doesn't mean that we're doing this. And so as physical families and as one person in that family, are you contending for the faith so that even your place in your family is shaped by God? over the next few weeks, we'll talk about if your faith that let's reverse that. If the faith that God gives to us shapes you as a woman, what kind of wife are you? What kind of mother are you? If if the faith that God gives shapes you as a man, what kind of husband are you? What kind of father are you? What kind of child are you to your parents if God's faith, the faith that was offered once and for all, if it shapes a youth, what kind of child are they in relationship to their parents and their grandparents? We'll spend a lot of time over the next few weeks looking at various aspects of that, But now let's think about it from a congregational standpoint as we go back here. The exhortation is to contend earnestly that I did a struggle to to stand up and to fight for that faith. Why? Notice verse four. Verse four, there were certain men who had crept in. In other words, there is an unawareness that has taken place. He's telling them, I don't know if you know that they have snuck in among you. Now notice what they do. Long ago who were marked out for this condemnation, And then he describes them in the middle of verse 4, ungodly men. Ungodly is a word that Jude uses many times, probably if we were to do a word count, just based on proportionally for his short letter, he probably uses the word ungodly more than any other New Testament writer. He uses it six times in this little writing here. Like, for example, in the book of Romans, it's probably not in the book of Romans more than three times. Uh, So compared to a long book, and then you have this short writing. And so he's saying, let me tell you about these men that have snuck in unaware. They're ungodly. But also let me tell you what they're perverting. They're perverting grace. Look at the rest. Ungodly who turn the grace of God into lewdness. In other words, what they probably were doing were they were promoting sensual practices, probably fornication, adultery. They were promoting that. And they were doing it in the name of religion. Sounds a lot like idolatry that oftentimes would be prevalent in cultures that would surround them. And then he's saying, oh, but grace covers this. Now, the warning that comes to my mind on that is where Paul wrote in in Romans, the sixth chapter in verse one, shall we remain in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And now, if that wasn't enough, Notice the last description there in verse four. What else did they do? They denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. According to Jesus, what does it take for us to become a follower of him? Matthew 16 and 24. If any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. What were these men doing? These men were not denying themselves. They were acting on fleshly nature. They were practicing lewdness because that's our fleshly nature. They weren't denying self. What were they denying? They were denying Jesus. You talk about getting it completely opposite. They should have been denying self and following Jesus. Instead, they were indulging self and denying Jesus. But that might be easier to do than what we like to admit. How many times do we know what Jesus asks of us to do? And yet sometimes we indulge ourselves and deny the teachings of the Lord. And so as we are aware of what's happening here, I'd like for you to notice that to show uh, illustrations of apostasy from verse five to verse 15, He gives nine examples that we can read about primarily in the Old Testament. And if you'll notice... Uh, the first several ones about the Exodus, the angel's rebellion, Sodom and Gomorrah, even Michael the archangel and, and the devil arguing over the, the body of, of Moses, which I know that's strange, but it's there. And, uh, but the three that I want us to just mention, we don't have time to study in depth, which is really the way Jude writes. Jude writes expecting his audience to know about each one of these. And, and so in a minute, we're going to come back to verse 11 where he talks about Cain and Balaam and Korah. And then in 14 and 15, he mentions Enoch and, and uh, Adam. Now, if you have your Bibles, glance down and let's read verse 11 together. And as we read this, I want you to think about uh, the, the Jewish tradition kind of used these three men as the epitome of the trinity of apostasy. Okay, and, and so I just, I just want you to let that sink in and appreciate, like, if, if you're gonna pull some Old Testament stories to say, help me understand how apostasy takes place, help me understand how dangerous it is, help me give, me, give me a warning about it. Well, the Jews would very oftentimes say, okay, if you want a picture of it, you just look at the life of Cain, You look at the life of Balaam and you look at the life of Korah. You look at what they did, but then you look how it turned out. But you also look how it turned out for people that followed them. And he said, in tradition, it'd be almost like that's your Trinity right there. Now, do you think that also influenced you so that he links these three together? Probably so. Jude probably knew that the Jews oftentimes link these three together. And so that's probably why these three are together in verse 11. And so let's read it. Let's appreciate the fact that there is a very important message about our faith in the, this verse. So let's read together. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain and have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Woe to them is an announcement of judgment. Now, you remember how verse three? Verse three was a call to the side of faith. Jude is saying, I exhort you, let's fight for the faith. But woe to them, I'm making another announcement, Jude says. There's judgment against behavior like this. In other words, it's his cry of condemnation. We can either be standing on the call of the side of faith or we can have the cry against us of condemnation. Straightforward, isn't it? All right. So what's the three examples? The first one, he says, you've gone the way of Cain. Now, if you we're not going to have the actual passage on screen because uh, To look at three Old Testament stories, I can just kind of tell you about them. And some of you probably can can fulfill Jude's intention, and that is you already know these stories. But let's say you're sitting here this morning, you say, you know what? I really don't remember the details of these stories. Just jot down these next three slides, the passages, and take and read them this afternoon or, or say, you know, this is what I want to study through this week. And then study these stories, asking yourself, what is it about contending for the faith that God would want me to learn about myself as I read these stories. Because when God teaches us about contending for our faith, these are some stories that he expects us to know. Cain and Abel, they were brothers and both offered an offering to God in Genesis, the fourth chapter. And Cain brought an offering that was not respected by God. As a matter of fact, it tells us he nor his offering was respected by God. Well, in the next few verses, God says to him, you know, if you'll just do well, I'll accept you. Now, not only has he rebelled against God. Oh, I know the offering God wants, but I'm going to bring the offering I want to give. And then God comes back around and says, hey, I'm giving you the opportunity to repent here. You know, if you just do the right thing, I'll forgive you. Things are going to be good. He won't do the right thing. Instead, he leaves there and probably fueled in jealousy, he goes out and finds his brother who had given an offering that God was pleased with and he murders him. What do we see when it says... The way of Cain. The way of Cain was very selfish. I'm not exactly concerned with what God wants. I'll bring the offering I want to bring. Well, Cain, you know that that's wrong and I'd like to forgive you. Will you come back? No, I'm going to continue to rebel. What kind of arrogance does it take when God comes and speaks and you continue to rebel? Selfishness, rebellion, arrogance, and jealousy. Now, I'm going to go out and kill my brother. The way of Cain. Have you ever seen any selfish behavior? That's a part. That leads in a posse. Now, I'm not just saying. I'm not saying because you struggle with selfishness that that you have left the faith. But I'm just saying. Do you see? That's the way of Cain. If you stay on that selfish way, that is how people end up leaving the faith. Rebellion is how people leave the faith. Arrogance is how people leave the faith. Jealousy will destroy lives and destroy your faith. So that's the way of Cain. Now let's look at the greediness that was in the air of Balaam as he did things for profit. This is a long story. It's in the 20 numbers, 22, 23, 24. Really to understand it, you also have to read 25. And then to get some insight that you really didn't get earlier, you have to drop back and read numbers 31. And then to get even clearer insight, you have to read Jude, and some writing that Peter gave that then when you read it all, it makes it real clear. Okay, so this guy's problem really was greed. Balaam was one that spoke the oracles of God. The children of Israel had moved in near Moab and the Midianites. They knew, remember we've been studying the marvels of God. They knew how powerful God was and that nations could be annihilated if they were an enemy of God. And so he got afraid, God's gonna destroy us. And so he heard about this man that was an oracle of God, that he had the power to just speak and he could speak blessings on an entire nation or he could speak curses on an entire nation. And so you imagine the king says, load up these treasures. You messengers, you go and you tell that man, he can have all these gifts if he will just come And if he will speak curses against Israel so that we will survive. Well, at least you admire the fact that he made it real clear. I can't speak anything except what God gives. But the large amounts of gifts became very appealing to him. And he continued to go along with with Balak, they'd go to one place and he'd prophesy, but he would still speak what God would say and he'd speak blessings. And he'd go to another place and another place. And then finally, what we learn by jumping over to Numbers, the 31st chapter, was when the Midianites went in, their women went in and committed adultery with the children of Israel. And you remember God's punishment of that was to kill 24,000 men. Men, that would be their soldiers. Let's just read Numbers, the 31st chapter, and let's read verse 16. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through what? The counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord, and that plague took 24,000 lives. Where did that come from? In other words, he says, okay, I'm, uh, I'm not gonna take your money and speak curses because God didn't tell me to give a curse. He told me to give a blessing to Israel. But then you know what happens somewhere along the way behind the scene? Somewhere along the way behind the scene, he said, hey, I tell you what, you know, if you'll just send your women in there and seduce those men, God's punishment for adultery is Death you can get a lot of the Israelites wiped out if you just send your women in. And so when God sent back the children of Israel to bring vengeance, remember we studied this a few Sunday nights ago, when he sent them to Midian to bring vengeance upon them, he also made sure that the death penalty was brought to Balaam also. I want you to imagine a greed it's so much so that you would sell your soul and your people's lives and souls. Hey, I tell you what, let the men commit adultery. God will slay them. They'll lose their soul and their life. How horrible did Balaam have to be? Why did he do it? Well, Jude makes it very clear. He did it for money. He wanted the riches that was going to be offered. All right, and then finally, look at the the story of Korah. When we go back to the 16th chapter of, of Numbers, we see that they perished in the rebellion of Korah. Korah, along with a couple of other men, created an uprising that says, hey, you know, Moses and Aaron, the only reason you guys are in place is because you have exalted yourself. And we, they said there in, in number 16, every one of us, and that's an exaggeration, wasn't it? Every one of us are holy people, and God is among us all, and you don't need to exalt yourself. And so God said through Moses, I tell you what, we're going to find out who's holy. Tomorrow, they've gathered 250 renowned men. So here's Korah speaking. He has his troops together, renowned men, that in essence what they want to do is they want to take over the authoritative role of Israel. And he says, okay, if, if all of Israel is holy, we're going to find out tomorrow if they're holy. All of you men bring a censer and you're going to offer incense to God tomorrow and we're going to bring censers and we're going to offer incense to God and then tomorrow God can reveal who's holy or not. Will they do that tomorrow? And God speaks out and he says, hey, Moses and Aaron and all you that that.'" follow the leadership of Moses and Aaron I want you to separate yourself from these men so that you don't get consumed also and so Moses speaks up and he says listen if we have promoted ourselves by self will into leadership in other words our leadership is because God has placed us in leadership we're only doing the will of God but he says if you believe that we have promoted ourselves into leadership these 250 men being led by Korah they will die of an old age of natural death. But if we have been promoted into leadership because God has placed us into leadership, something new will happen. The earth is going to open up and they will be swallowed. And so over the next few minutes, the earth opened up and all of Korah and the 250 men and their families were all swallowed. And if you can imagine, the next day, the people still complained about that. And so God sent a plague that ended up killing about 14,700 more because they were complaining against the leadership that God had set in place. What do we see there? We see rebellion. Cain said, I want my way. Balaam said, I want that money. And Korah said, I want that power. Selfishness, money, and power has destroyed so many souls and has led so many into apostasy. And it also, if you want to go back and apply it to your physical families, it's also destroyed a lot of physical families also. So when we look at Jude, the first chapter and verse three, what does he mean when he says contend for the faith? Now, I'm not saying this is all that he means But I'm just wanting you to realize this morning, if we were to apply one verse out of this, this one verse, he would say, if you want to fight for the faith, stop being selfish. Be content and not greedy and submit to the authority of God and the authority that God has set into place. In other words, there are some things that are worth fighting for and we ought to be willing to fight for our faith and for our family. As we close, I'd like for you to look at Jude. This is only one chapter. Look at verse 20. And I want you to notice the personal responsibility that Jude places upon each one of us. He says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith. Now, pause there for just a moment. You know that we're not saved without God's grace, his love and his mercy. And we're not saying that we work our way into salvation. We're not saying any of that because God doesn't say any of that. But you and I need to understand the flip side of that coin. And the flip side of that coin is every one of us has responsibility. He's saying here, in essence, he's saying God has done his part. Now, are you going to do yourself? your part? Are you going to build yourself up on a most high and holy faith? That's our responsibility individually. And then he mentions each member of the Godhead and the rest of that verse in verse 21 and what can be done through that. So what do we learn today? We learned that our faith is worth fighting for. And we learned that the enemy's ammunition that, that tries to destroy our faith is Cain wanted things his way. Balaam wanted money. Korah wanted authority. So selfishness, greed, and rebellion. And you might want to just follow away just a little note if you go back and study this this week. All three of those seem to be a progression. Cain had a way. Balaam was running greedily through it. And Korah ended in destruction, perishing. It's a progression of thought there this morning. Is your faith real? Is your faith yours? You have built your faith, the holy God, and you'd fight for it. You'll stand for it. Is your faith built on the faith that was delivered once and for all? Listen, if If these things seem foreign to you, they're things you need to study through, and we would love to assist you and help you see what the faith is. Maybe this morning you know what the faith is, but you know you haven't obeyed it, and this morning you wanna be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, to commit yourself to the Lord and to be saved, to have those sins washed away. And if you're willing to make that turn and repent and turn to God and confess that Jesus is the Son of God, we'd love to assist you with that this morning. Maybe you've begun that journey Maybe you're not on that journey right now. and Maybe you want to repent, pray forgiveness. We'd be honored to help you in any way that we can. Let's leave here this day. And if the Lord gives us the next week to live, let's all every day contend earnestly for the faith. We can help you come as we stand, as we sing.